I've been in and out of the entertainment world for about two years now, from both the production and career side. As the co-founder of a media company, one of my more recent ventures, I dived into TV and commercials first, then film. Beforehand, I had only guest starred or ordered media projects as a chief marketing officer. I got into it for two reasons. One, I was interested after being a part of the commercials I had ordered for one of my startups a few years ago, and two, I wanted to have hands-on experience before I continued working on adapting more of my novels, manga, or other series in the future. Through Sits Ventures and a friend in the industry connecting us, Chris and I met. A director, cinematographer, and car aficionado, Chris Rakowski has a ton of credits to his name. From reality TV to sci-fi, shows he's worked on include Ice Road Truckers, World's Weirdest Restaurants, Constantine Last Rites, and so much more. He's also a car lover, something we definitely vibe on. He produces a YouTube series with over 12 million views, and he once took my Tesla out for a spin. I really wasn't sure if we were going to make it back. We were working on a few projects together, and I wanted to have him on to help aspiring TV and film directors through our discussions. In this episode of Spill the Matcha, we chat about ways to pay forward as an aspiring director, how to produce quality content on a budget, and what we think the current culture in the TV and film industry is like here in LA. Renting a car has never been better because renting through Turo equals no more shuttle rides, waiting in line, or boring cars. Get the car you've always wanted. Download the app today. I'm RJ Tolson. Welcome to the Spill the Matcha podcast, a Capritor Studios original series. I believe we often feel inspired to reach our goals and become our best self the way we always have, through learning from a collective of experiences shared by fellow people. I will ask guests from wellness experts, thought leaders, best-selling authors, and career coaches to experience luminaries, to spill the matcha, to lay out bare their truths, advice, and opinions in an effort to bring to light informative knowledge on a variety of different topics meant to help you further along the journey to achieving what you want in life. Knowledge is power, and together we are stronger. Your journey continues now, with us along for the ride. All right, everyone, please clap your hands in your mind, especially if you're driving for this episode's guest, director and car aficionado, Chris Wutkowski, the first entertainment-related guest I've actually had on the show so far. I'm actually surprised to say that, considering we live in Los Angeles. This town, yeah, that's kind of surprising. But, you know. I feel so special. You are special in your mind. No, <laughs> my you're special. In my <laughs> so, dude, I'm, I'm and really- And my mommy's mind. Hey, of course, I mean, <laughs> that'd, that'd be a very sad story to tell. <laughs> So, dude, I mean, I'm, I'm really glad uh, that you could be on this episode. Yeah, me too. Uh, thank you. Uh, why don't you tell everyone You're about... You're welcome for my presence. No. <laughs> Go home now. This is over. Yeah, well. <laughs> That's, that is true. So, for everyone listening, we are in Los Angeles, and actually West Hollywood specifically, and there's going to be some background noise, so enjoy the cityscape. Mm. The no constant sound, honking and helicopters. And the relaxing tone of... 
thieves and yeah homeless people throwing uh, tequila bottles in the air and some actors here and there <laughs> and actors singing and screaming it's not too bad it's not, it's not too bad um tell us about yourself um uh, my name is chris I, uh, I i'm a director and recently become a writer now as well which is a new new thing for me yep um <laughs> started off as a cinematographer and a camera guy uh did reality tv for a while where I nearly got decapitated on season six of Ice Road Truckers. Um, then moved on to do food shows, which was a lot of fun. I traveled the whole world eating food and shooting food. and For free? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what TV does. They, they just send you around the world and they pay you to do it. It's great. Um, and then I uh, decided to move on to YouTube for my own stuff, which is basically car documentaries about um, cars used in famous movies. Um, and then moved on again, yet again, constantly evolving uh, to uh, pitching TV shows and uh, making movies. So I mean, you, but you, I, I know we've talked about it tons of times. Uh, aside from just the food shows, like you traveled around the world, basically mm -hmm. filming. Um, you have a ton of experience on the cinematography side, mm -hmm. right? But also the directing. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, the directing um, was always since I was 16 years old was was my biggest. Well, it was my best talent. It's the only thing I'm good at, to be honest. You're good at tennis. You got tennis. <laughs> I'm good at tennis, yeah, yeah, when I don't break rackets. And video games. And, uh, video games. Is, it's, it's just another part of storytelling, really, with, with the video games. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was uh, directing and filmmaking was the only thing I was ever good at. So um, that's the ultimate pursuit. And I started doing storytelling uh, with a camera basically when I was 16. Uh, my dad won five numbers out of the six-number lottery in Toronto and got five grand and bought a really good video camera. Wait, so there's a there's a lottery in Toronto with six numbers? I think it's six numbers. Anyways, he, okay. he, he, he was one off of the winning lotto number. Okay. And so the, the cash prize was only five grand. For, oh, only for five grand. Yeah. yeah. But he bought a really nice video camera with it, and I immediately started playing with it because I was a photographer already. Mm. But the moving image is it's like something so, that really attracted me. This was in the 2000s? Um, he got that camera in like 2001. So was it like a like a proper camera, or was it like one of the? It was like a prosumer or... camera, you know. Okay. It was it was longer. It wasn't just a handy cam, but it was a yeah. longer camera with a kind of a barrel lens that didn't come off, you know. Okay, yeah. But it was a mini DV, and it had uh, th three chips. So what kind of stuff did you like start making with it? Um, I just first I I just started running around with the camera, um, shooting my friends like they're monsters in night vision, you know, because the camera mm. had a night vision function. Oh, so that's awesome. That was immediately like dramatic storytelling because it was night vision. And they and my friends are monsters, but um, then um, hear that Canadians are monsters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the first attempt at putting something together and editing stuff was actually snowboard and skateboard videos, you know, which actually I find is pretty common amongst um, directors in this town. There's a lot really? of a lot of filmmakers are ex skateboarders that just used to mess around with a camera, and then always took it the next step, the next step, next step until they were finally storytellers. That's interesting too, because I feel like there's a ton of um, shows or movies I've seen where like you'll have skateboarding mm -hmm. as like the, in the '70s, and yeah, then people yeah. would try and film stuff or take photos and film stuff yeah. if they could. If you see uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco, um, okay. the protagonist just skateboards around town, you know, and I'm pretty sure the director, uh, what's his name, I forgot his name. I'm pretty sure he's a skater because you can even see it in how he dresses. You know, he's a skater kid. Was that the '90s? Or the no, Last Black 70s? Man was made this year. Oh, this year. Yeah, no, it just released it this year. Taking place in this time period as well too. 
film was? Um, I think it's maybe 10 years back. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, so actually not 70s, 90s. That's yeah, like I, think, I think it was a 90s thing, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's crazy. So, But that's where it came from for me, and then I did my first film in, in high school, which is a gangster film with 16-year-olds. What? What's it called? It was called Vendetta. Vendetta, okay. Yeah. So but it, it was it was like it was sixteen year olds playing adult roles. It didn't work, you know. Okay. But, it, but visually, it was impressive because, uh, um, it was it was well put together. I, I got to speak for myself. So there were Canadian well gangsters. Yeah, Canadian sixteen year old Italian gangsters. Okay. But there are Italian gangsters in Toronto, so it's not that oh, far. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, there is a mafia over there. I did not know that since I've never been to Canada except for the quick flight stops on the way to China. Um, which I need to do as we've talked about. Cool flex, bro. Oh, well, no. I, mean, I have to get it in here somewhere, dude. Like flying around the world, traveling, filming, getting free food. That's mm-hmm. that's the life, dude. Uh, but no, I mean that's crazy. So you started you started with a webcam, not webcam. Sorry, you started with Just a, a, a handy a Sony a Sony handycam. Okay, yeah. so, and that's when you were sixteen. Did your first film, you know, when you were in high school. Yeah. So when was your first, like, more major, you know, in the industry uh, My first big job was, was um, the first time I got paid to do anything was wedding videos. I started doing wedding videos immediately because it was good money, and it was super easy. Um, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. It's just, you basically, it's, it's easy, whatever. Anybody can do it. It's just built into you, the industry, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I made tons of money uh, as a high school kid making wedding videos mm-hmm. uh no but then i went to film school and um in film school you know the point of film school is not to learn anything <laughs> it's it's really just so you can screw up as many times as possible with no consequence you know that's all it is like aaron sorkin has said the reason why you go to um to learn how to write in in any kind of university or film school is so that you can write three or four or five garbage scripts mm-hmm. And no one's going to blame you for it. And you have you the know? resources, I'm assuming. They give you yeah. like they give you equipment. Yeah, the whole point of it, yeah, is to yeah. test your metal to see if your ideas work and then see what doesn't work and adjust and keep going, mm-hmm. right? You start doing that in the industry right off the bat, you're not going to get anywhere because people are just going to be like, wow, you're shit. And, they're and gonna they'll associate. never yep. you know, ever read another one of your scripts. So that makes sense. That's film school. It's just, it's just an opportunity for you to test out what works and what doesn't. And you went to film school, right? Yeah. So what was the film school you went to? No, Ryerson. Okay, and that was, where is that? Toronto. Toronto, okay. So you were there, like, what, what age did you, 18? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't finish it because I didn't think that I was, it was, it's, it doesn't, the degree doesn't give you anything, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the only time the degree, a degree in film actually will help your career is if it's from New York. Like NYU? Uh, no, uh, yeah, yeah, NYU, and, or USC. Okay. UCLA even doesn't really stand for much, but it does help a little bit, right? But that's that's the order, you know. Actually, USC might be first, then NYU, then UCLA, in terms of how helpful those schools are. Are you saying that because of, like, the alumni network? or yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, NYU has a massive alumni. USC, uh, well, yeah. you know, industry professionals send their kids there, Yeah. as we all know from the recent scandal. Um and because uh, oh, yeah, that's the not the isolated lives. incident, yeah, that's yeah. not an isolated incident. You know, it's of course. much more widespread than that. President. But and then UCLA also has a great alumni, but also has actually a great film program in USA, UCLA because mm-hmm. it's uh, USC also Film School and UCLA Film School. I mean, USC Film School is obviously one of, if not the most famous, yeah. Besides NYU, yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like as well though too is whenever I'm in New York, I feel like theater is the Actually, having just been in the industry a little bit, it seems like NYU is the biggest for like theater and modeling, mm-hmm. whereas LA is film and TV. 
Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. The yeah. majority of the but but the but the film uh, film and TV still is pretty strong at NYU. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they, it says if you tell someone in, in the industry that you went to NYU, more often than not, they'll either have a best friend who went there or something like that. Cause yeah, that's so weird too because in you know in the, and even in the tech world where people often haven't I guess now really finished college necessarily, um, but before and like when I did politics like study politics, um, Oxford. Harvard, mm-hmm. like those are the schools that you want to go to, mm-hmm. whereas it's so different for film. Like, I mean, New York, NYU is a great school. Yeah, it's also just like sixty-five grand or something a year. It's Not like really. insanely expensive. Yeah, it's like one of the most. Like, at least when back in twenty eleven when I was looking, it was one of the most expensive mm. schools in the country. Mm. Um, I think USC is cheaper, especially for Californians mm. because of the state oh, yeah. return. You know, so it's probably like thirty k, which is like half mm-hmm. of NYU, mm-hmm. which is insane. But yeah, no, I think your information about getting a film degree yeah is is interesting just yeah, there's no if you think you got your education in two years that's fine quit it's just it's not, <laughs> the degree is not gonna help you man it's well, it's on it's brutal but it's honest you know and like why keep paying for it when it's not gonna help you and it's interesting though too because i see people who like have okay so when we started capertorus um not you and i but when i started capertorus <laughs> my co-founder what's my position uh, i can't wait to get my salary <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, paycheck be nice but yeah, when I, when I started, when I co-founded my production company, it was, you know, and, and just diving into this industry, it was interesting seeing people who like, you know, went to film school, who went to NYU, and they yeah. were like, oftentimes really confident, yeah. and but they were doing background acting. Mm. You know, we did, I did background acting for a month, and that was because I just had no idea what mm. was, anything was about. I'm so glad I did it, yeah. because I hated it. And as a director, as a producer, I know I hate it. I yeah. know how those people feel and act. And like that. So again, when I go into it, I think I'm very empathetic yeah. and also while still being a good producer. Yeah. But I think, you know, when these people go in, I would talk to them and be like, oh, yeah, I went to film school. I went to this. And I'm trying to be an actor. I'm trying to do this. I'm like, but it's crazy because you're starting at like not even intern level. This is like, I don't want to say like, uh, indentured servant work yeah no you are the mom that the janitor pushes yeah and i mean it's, it's a necessary <laughs> i guess necessary evil yeah. i mean 100 percent. before i knew about this industry and and what was going on and how film was made and tv was made yeah. oh like i believe like i don't even know what i believed about those people in the yeah. background yeah. you know they, they are they're effectively just breathing props but and they're a hundred percent integral no if you don't have the if you don't have the extras populating your set in your background then your 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 world is not real yes and and so they are important yeah. but they're not treated like that yeah. when they're on set because i mean it's it's a sad truth of the industry but there's so many cogs in the machine going and yeah you know um it's, it's like a it's sad. It's sad that we just push the the extras into the back and and just kind of treat them as such because we have so much focus on, you know, the foreground of the shot and where the story is being driven. That even though I mean, what I like having is uh, is, is 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 there's sometimes there's a director that actually pushes the extras around. There's a director specifically for the extras, you know. Yeah. Sometimes that happens where where the director, the main director, just talks to the protagonist and everyone that's actually driving on the script and then there's a second guy that's wrangling the whole all the extras and telling them which way to go at what time at what point you know sometimes it's the first ad that does it on his own but is that your experience in like in um reality tv or in no that's filmmaking yeah because in for me in tv it's always been the pa yeah like we just have a pa who usually runs around like three of them um friend of mine he did it for he did it for last black man in san francisco he just he just ran all the extras and Mm. and you know at least at least when that situation Mm. happens there's a degree of respect uh and a, 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 a baseline of respect for those extras being given by that 
by that extras director you know, yeah. or AD that's that's taking care of them because then then they're, they they know their importance to these set. Otherwise, they just go ignored for the most part, which is sad. We could talk about extras and, and background acting for days, in our opinions. <laughs> when we think about it, I know that. But it's like, you know, and the last thing I'll say about it, too, is that I just, it's crazy because, like I said, I'll see these people, going back to the educational part, is who have gone to these film schools. And whether they're four-year, two-year, um, NYU's, I'm assuming, four-year film school. Yeah. Uh, whereas you have like these uh, for-profit schools. Yeah. Who are who are two-year, right? Yeah. They're usually like more associate yeah. kind of degrees. Sometimes one-year. One. Okay. Yeah. And you know they'll come out thinking, oh, I got my degree and I'm good, and because that's the traditional where like you get a poli-sci degree, you get a uh, um, business degree, like you come out, you're going to get that job that's guaranteed a certain amount or yeah. back in the day, but they'll be stuck there. Like I've met actors or extras and actors who were there for, who've been there for like seven years, mm -hmm. still saying the same thing they've been doing for seven years and they have that degree not using it. Yeah. So I think it's a test to what you're saying. Yeah. You know, not, not, not saying that films, film degrees are useless, but it's more so you gotta go in being strategic, you know, for this industry. They, I don't know, they, they don't qualify you for much. They, they, it, it explains that you've gone through the training, you, you understand all the elements that require that are required to make a film or whatever piece of media you're doing. Um, but does it really qualify you to manage it? You know, mm -hmm. not really, not until you've run a set completely because it's a, it's a living organism, a set, you know, it's not just, uh, if you're, if you're, um, I don't know, managing something in the corporate world, that's a different thing. There's a set of procedures that you have to follow, and, and if, if one plus one doesn't equal two, you've done the job wrong. Whereas a set, one does one, one plus one is not always two, you know? Um, it's it's a, literally a living organism to manage. Um, I think I think what you're saying, though, applies to both. And I yeah. say that because, yeah, I think it's it really is similar. Because even though it seems like in the corporate world, yes, there is, like, the, our idea of the corporate world and business is, is, like, this stagnant, traditional, like, there, this is the way it yeah. works in time and time step again. To step to step. Yeah, but actually, like as an example, um, three, two and a half, three years ago, I had a co-founder come on. Uh, he was investing, and I said, "Hey, dude, like you can either go to like business school, or I can teach you what you wouldn't learn in business school that you're going to have to learn afterwards anyway yeah. in six months." And the dude joined, and, and after the six months, agreed with me. He was yeah. like, "Yeah, I would never have learned this in school." And then he went to school, said the same thing afterwards. Mm -hmm. And it's just because like you're not. You need to get hands-on experience. And, I mean, you're talking about qualifications from yeah. school. You're not necessarily qualified just because you went to film school, which is yeah. different than academia in general. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, if you want to go teach, you get your master's, I'm assuming, in film, et cetera, whatever the subcategory would be, and then get your PhD. Of course, like, that's what you're, you're doing. You're, teach, yeah. yeah, you're teaching. You're literally reiterating the language and maybe expanding on it. But when you're coming to a set and production and, and directing and etc., yeah, I would I would agree. Because filmmaking on set, I'm not talking about the the um, you know the studio side of things. Like if like you producing, yeah. if you get a degree and you want to go be um, a hotshot at a studio, you need that degree absolutely. But I'm talking about on set, the creative people, right? The the the, the artists and the um, <clears throat> the dreamy eyed people that want to make movies, right? Mm. Um, it's not as much a. Uh, it's 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 a social um, expertise you have to have on set. You know, uh, you have to know how things work, but you also have to have to know how to work with people because everyone depends on everyone else in this Definitely. case. Definitely, physically, like towards each other, depend on each other. You know. Yes. Um, 
it's 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 just as much social as it is technical so you know what blew my mind though when i came in when i came into this industry i've never been in any other industry where like it's so based on who you know and mm-hmm. i know that's a thing everyone says of course yeah. it's the same thing i mean you could even in publishing we say that of course like you need to know an editor you need to know an agent yeah. um it's difficult there are so many books published of course it's the same thing with actors and singers you need to know somebody to a certain degree but in this industry like getting a pa job for example, from what I understand, since mm-hmm. I've never actually been a PA myself, uh, you have to know someone and that person will invite you or find a spot. If they have an open spot, yeah. they'll reach out to you. Yeah. It's not like there's a LinkedIn no. for this. Yeah. And and I have a friend actually who was trying to create a LinkedIn mm-hmm. for this. Mm-hmm. And I looked at, when I looked into it, I was like, wow, there, there really is like, there's LA casting, there's central, and here in LA, there's central casting, uh, which is background acting. And then there's LA casting, which is just general, like all the gigs in general. Yeah. But even that you're just apply, 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 apply. And there's no like, hey, it's it's basically if you want, and that's on the acting side. On the production side, though, it's like, okay, you, you need to know someone. Like, hey, RJ, um, I, re- I need a really good, I'm just trying an example, but I need a really good writer. Mm-hmm. Would you want to join me? Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, Chris, I need a really good director. Like, that's just what people do. Yeah. You know, they have the people they like, uh, they like. And sometimes I've seen that be a downfall. Yeah. Obviously, because yeah, just yeah, because you, you like someone. You judge things. Yeah. For sure. People. But, uh, I mean, dude, this, this is great, 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 great handoff, great talk uh, about film and education and i think that's something that's important for for people especially in the industry to know let's uh let's hit our first thought-provoking question although i feel like we've warmed up mm-hmm. pretty much <laughs> for the last 10 minutes <laughs> i should have been ready you know uh, I, I i've i've interviewed i've been in professional interviewing for quite some time now what did you say earlier um good uh good we'll just say good brag there yeah, good, yeah, good yeah, no, good flex, bro. Good flex, bro. There you go. <laughs> That'll be a thing now. Um, so, yeah, as producers and directors, both of us have released content while on the road, traveling abroad and in odd places. For aspiring producers and directors, beyond the traditional process of creating short films, oftentimes I get asked what else can they do without, like, big budgets and insane cameras, like, to basically keep moving forward in the entertainment industry. Without budgets, without basically having a sponsorship, how do they keep their career moving forward? Yeah, I thought it'd be a, yeah, I thought it'd be a cool thing for us to discuss. It's basically just that's how to do that. That's the the that's the the good part about what's going on today in the industry, which is the shift to um, uh, massively online consumed media. So, like YouTube, basically. Yeah. Uh, um, YouTube. YouTube has given everyone the opportunity to produce and have an audience um, without having mega corporate sponsorship. Because before YouTube, there was no outlet for you to be able to produce your projects without some sort of financial um, uh, uh, sponsorship. You know, because producing films long ago was on film and that was expensive, and you need you needed someone to foot the bill for that. You know, yeah. either that or you do Robert Rodriguez route and you know sell your body to science mm-hmm. for film. Um, then digital cameras came around and that made um, storytelling on camera easier, you know, because tapes were $8 a pop, you know, for an hour. And uh, that made it a lot easier. Also, the cameras were lighter and cheaper. You didn't have to spend $100,000 on a film camera. You spend ten grand on a good video camera and you can start telling stories, right? Yeah. So then basically, what is it? Uh, the guy who did 28 Days Later basically did it on a $10,000 camera, you know? Yeah. Um, and really? then... And then YouTube is, is what really changed the game because now, you know, YouTube is stronger and more powerful than um, some, you know, major 
a film distribution. Well, and, and I think that's too is like to highlight too is distribution versus like actually editing and creating, right? So, I mean, back in, I would say like, even if you really wanted to get started and let's go back to like 2005, I don't know, you had that the worst Windows Media Editor, whatever it was yeah. called back then, right? Uh, but I, yeah, actually, in 2005, I was still using, uh, no, Final Cut was around. Was it? Okay, I so. think it was, like the earliest version of it, because I started out on Apple, uh, uh, um, uh, what was it? Uh, movie app iMovie iMovie that's yeah, the one yeah iMovie yeah. I started on so, iMovie and, and progressed to Final Cut pretty quickly so I think in 2005 Final Cut was but I think there. iMovie so because even I used iMovie when I was younger yeah. and and just for fun stuff really but for no, that sounds weird for fun stuff uh, in film uh, but <laughs> but uh, no I mean like if we, so let's jump back so if you jump back to like let's say, just say the 90s right you have Windows Media what yeah. was it called Windows, the, Windows, Windows Movie Maker Windows Movie Maker yeah. which is which was, was horrible yeah. then you hi, you highlight you have iMovie which is like an, a, a really an upgrade like a total upgrade. A upgrade yeah I mean they were just much more focused on mm-hmm. what they actually wanted to do there then you go into like let's say Final Cut Pro or yeah. whatever it be a professional program that would cost probably hundreds of dollars at the time I think so. I don't even remember. I, uh, it was given to me by my school. So I don't okay, know yeah. I mean, even the most base programs in the 2000s were always like 150 were bucks. Expensive, yeah. Yeah. So you have you went from that, and then you have YouTube, which is which. Even though today you can you can edit your stuff within YouTube, um, it's not very good. It, no, and it's more about the platform. Yeah. Um, and distribution. You have direct distribution and a platform combined in the two. Yeah. Because before you were saying you had. To basically distribute, you need to have contacts. You need to have sponsorships. Yeah, you have to put it into film festivals, and film festivals had to sell you to someone else, and then you could maybe get it onto a TV program that has a bunch of other shorts, and that was it. Yeah, you know. And I think, and so I think it's interesting too, is because we both have done YouTube. I've barely done it. You've done a lot more than I have. Um, from both perspectives, like I've done vlogs, whereas, and I don't know if you've done vlogs specifically. I dabbled in it, but I. I have opinions on vlogging <laughs> and, and one's own life, privacy, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's interesting, too, because, like, I've obviously seen your videos and you've had success with your channel, with the aficionado, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And in my end, like, I, I used it basically as a way of cataloging what was going on mm-hmm. in my either my businesses to help people uh, have just, like, basically, like, okay, what how does RJ actually build yeah. these companies from, like, whatever to multi-million dollar in a year yeah. right and actually is it happening like really yeah. yeah it is here you go here's the vlog as i'm literally doing it right. here's my lessons here's, here's what i'm progress. doing yeah whereas for you you've got this really cool series where it's basically focused on cars yeah and i'm just storytelling i'm not really uh you know it's not about me i'm just it's just another just the host but i'm the host it's it, honestly i mean that was just so that i could drive cars that i don't have access to that's really it was just that's the only reason i'm on on it um, but otherwise, it's my—it's another outlet for my filmmaking and my storytelling abilities, to flex them and to show them and to keep them in uh, constantly in practice. So when we're talking about YouTube, it's like the difference in quality between what both of us did as well too is is obviously extremely apparent. But at the same time, it's just like that's the great thing about YouTube is that it's not necessarily about like the quality of the picture. Yeah. It's you can have both and still have let's say fame, success. It's it's I think YouTube's even less about quality of the picture and more about quality of the content and how it connects to the viewer. Uh and quality of the content is completely uh, subjective. So it doesn't True. really mean anything in this context. It's it's literally um, your 
ability to connect with people out there, right? Whether they like you or they like your subject matter or they like your expertise. It's usually within those things, like how-to videos are the number one thing. Then there's YouTube uh, celebrities, which is they like you, and then um, what you're doing is, is, is this is a um, byproduct of you being interesting, you know? So it's literally the most direct way for you to have an audience that you can connect with. Whereas filmmaking and stuff like that, and what I'm trying to get into, what I'm trying to really um, be my thing rather than YouTube is uh, storytelling, you know, having um, an effect on, on society, telling stories that affect society and uh, having a commentary on what's going on. You know, um, Shakespeare had a, had a line in, don't know, don't remember, but <laughs> <laughs> There's a good Shakespeare quote, which is, they are the abstract brief chronicles of our time, you know, and that's in reference to dramatists, not, not specifically just actors mm -hmm. or filmmakers, but dramatists as everyone, anyone that, that endeavors to tell a story, that's what we are. That's what, we, but that's what I believe we're, it's all about. And so you're telling, you're, so, we're, okay. So for example, though, we're both telling stories, mm -hmm. right? So you have your, your, your focus is storytelling in relation to the cars themselves and the and people, the, and the people and, 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 involved. And what what it takes to make these cars, the imagination, the the the, the de dedication, you know, mm -hmm. the loss, the 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 strengths, and, and and the what they gain from the project, what they lose over time from the project, you know, it's 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 basic storytelling about humans, you know, whether but it's through it's through the um, the metaphor of the car. And I think what's cool what's cool about what we've talked about with YouTube, but also specifically what we're both doing, is that. It didn't take either of us. I mean, even with your, I mean, you have a better camera than I do. I was using my iPhone like eight or whatever it was at the time. Whereas I know you were using. Well, know. I use a Nikon. The, the camera doesn't matter, but the lenses do. It's a different thing. That's the only reason, reason my image looks substantially better is because the lenses. You know? But it, but my point is too, is that even though you had that, right? Like, so your biggest, is your biggest episode the one that has 1.3 million views? No, um, that's the second one. The, that's the dual truck. The first one is the Fast and Furious Charger. Okay. That has 2.1 mil, I think. Okay, so 2.1 mil. And in comparison, right, where, like, basically for me, it's legit just vlogging. Like, I wanted to make sure that I was telling this story and I wasn't going to have a camera crew. I wasn't going to have myself having a solid camera and doing it. Yeah. It was more like, hey, let me just make sure I'm actually doing this thing. And whoever I can get to reach and see who can learn from my experiences, my mistakes, yeah. my boss, here we go. Whereas yours is storytelling from what we just discussed. Yeah. And the cool thing about it is that we could have done both. And, and I did, and you could have as well as done yours with no budget to a yeah. certain degree. Like yeah. aside from, I mean, you could have just used your phone if you really, really could wanted have, to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what's so great about creating content is, you know, going back to kind of the question as well too. It's like we're talking about aspiring directors, producers, like let's say general content creators, and within the entertainment industry, not necessarily like TikTok or Instagram, etc. Right is now, TikTok. I've been seeing it. I have no idea what it is. Really? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. I don't know. TikTok is just like constant memes. Cool. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm writing my movie about. Love uh, games, movies yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Hashtag sarcasm. What we're writing about. <laughs> yes, uh, but meme wise, yeah, it's like it's just Vine on steroids. No, it's Vine. No, okay. It's like Vine on steroids plus memes. Gotcha. Yeah, just like constantly and. Okay. You know, and I think that's why I don't even want to talk about that in this this episode yeah. because we're just you're not even related I don't to even that. Know what it is. Yeah, you know, it's just not in relation to the kind of content that I think people would listen to in relation to what you've done. But it's also, like I said, YouTube's more specifically. It's cool because 
again, aspiring producers, aspiring writers, aspiring um, TV writers, film writers, etc., um, can create content without having to have big budget stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's what we, what we both of us have done here. You've had like good success on YouTube with it, mm. but also beyond YouTube. I mean, Constantine. Oh yeah. Well, that was. It was fun. But it wasn't big budget. No, it, we spent like uh, five hundred bucks on it. Yeah, and 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 like guys watch it because yeah. like quality wise, it's it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, it's like you can make quality content, right? It doesn't necessarily have to do with again the the. the big budget yeah. or the incredible cameras or lenses yeah. it's just but so also you can release it so that, i guess that's the point you can make it for the, the technology allows you to make it for cheap and then and then um uh well also technology allows you allows for people to see it you know yeah relatively easily and we talked about too you mentioned the thing about how film school is a place where you can just kind of mess up over and yeah. over again right yeah. so i feel like i mean you correct me if you feel differently but uh, with YouTube as well too it's a chance to do that before you're really big I mean if you're really working on content and creating content while you're again trying it is to get an opportunity out. to kind of to, to do and undo and because and, I've tried multiple different little things on YouTube and they didn't work up until Aficionado took off um, yeah what were some of those ideas uh, just little short films and stuff. I was just film. I was just filmmaker. Here's a short film. Here's a short film. Here's a short film. No one cared. You know, uh, it's it's um, it was aficionado that took off because it was a series of stories that all had the same um, goal in the end. You know, and they all had the same ideas and same themes. So it's a series of repetitive stories of different of people in different situations trying to achieve the same dream. So focus on the theme though. That is not a niche with cars themselves. You have people who are like yourself who are obsessed with cars yeah you know and that itself i think is a hit on the mark whereas you know you again maybe with your short films they weren't necessarily focused on something like that yeah, it was exactly. more like art yeah, yeah it was or, more art yeah. yeah so and i think that's again it's keeping in mind with marketing too it's like if you want to focus on content to get better at content or if you want to focus on content to to get an audience mm-hmm, mm-hmm. those are two separate things but again at the same time you can do all of that stuff mm-hmm. with your iphone yeah you know i mean even here it's like in la I would say even like DC, I mean, major, any major city, um, especially, I mean, maybe you can talk to more of, I mean, you're from Toronto, right? So that's a big, that's a relatively big city. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I've seen, I know my co-founder is from a small town and mm-hmm. he, he was creating content consistently, you know, on different varying levels um, without a big budget as well too. Yeah. Like he found people who had a passion, who were, wanted to be actors, who wanted to be cinematography, et cetera, cinematographers. Yeah. Um, etc and actually start producing content and doing it mm-hmm. instead of just waiting around and going okay well I have a film degree yeah I deserve to be here right give me a job yeah I uh, as much as I, I have problems with some of the things that are going on with YouTube and technology and, and, and all that it has given us an opportunity to connect because there is no shortage of those people that want to work that want to do uh, that want to you know throw themselves at a film throw themselves at a project and just collaborate yeah you know there's no shortage of people that want to collaborate um, and what what happens now with Facebook and Instagram and all the interconnected social media is that you can find those people relatively easily. You know, the, the you don't have to meet someone in person or bump into bump into them at a at a, at a film screening sure. specifically to meet them. But you can find willing co-conspirators on the internet for your film projects relatively easily these days, and that's a wonderful thing. You know. Yeah, I and mean, even additional to that is. Aside from Facebook, you can you can if you need B roll, and let's say you're not in the area, go on Shutterstock. Yeah, I buy did that, that B roll. Constantine. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... My, my London Skyline shots, um, all my London shots were... were I didn't even think about that. There you go. I mean, it's a matter of, like, you have all these resources nowadays where it's, yeah. like, I think part of it is is that oftentimes, like, the reason why that question is asked is that people just aren't educated mm-hmm. on these things, like, that you can do something beyond, like, the traditional route. Because yeah. when I think also when you're in film school, again, correct me if I'm wrong, you do have these certain resources that are given to you mm-hmm. to a certain degree, and you may expect that coming out of the industry. Yeah. Because it seems like based on, hey, I have this degree – this is what I should be getting in return for this. Yeah, yeah. Whereas that's every, not every other, but that's most other industries. Yeah, but I mean, I understand that. I mean, you spend four years and all your money trying to get this degree. You come out going, all right, I'm qualified. Give it to me, you know? Yeah. I mean, is it unfair to think that way? I don't think so. You know, you should, the, the expectation is that I've spent the time, I've, I've done my diligence, I know what is required now. Give me a shot, but as hardly ever the case but i think it's i'm qualified give me a shot yeah not i'm qualified oh. hand me everything true yeah true, no and true. I, okay yeah that, there's, i think you're 100 right <laughs> yeah and i think that's what people like again i mean it just depends on each person's experience yeah, yeah, and everyone's yeah. different but i think yeah it's i'm qualified give me a shot let that's, me start working because I, I i get the give me a shot thing for my own struggles in directing you know um just that you have to find that person who believes in you enough to give you a shot you know so what was your what, what was that experience? What was your first shot? Uh, it's literally the movie I'm running for now. Oh, you mean okay, okay, but like even in TV though, like how did you? Because oh. we talked about the interconnectedness, you have to know someone. Yeah, no, that was uh, when I first got started in reality. That was just literally I knew a producer. She saw my work. She saw that I was cheap, and she went, "Okay, that works," <laughs> and she threw me my first TV show. You know where I was DP on a on a reality show, and mm. it was simply just okay. She was Canadian, I was Canadian, so there's that connection, right? Yeah. We knew each other. And um, she saw my work, she saw, that she saw that I'm qualified and able to do the job. And then she asked my rate, the rate was, was affordable, you know? Um, and so all those, all those elements put together gave me my first show. But literally, yes, it's only because I knew her as a friend before. So yeah, so you didn't seek out the opportunity necessarily in that no, no. avenue. She just knew who she I was, she knew I wanted to work on something soon. And she just put it all together. So I think something to take from that is going to be not necessarily whether you're chasing, in a sense, or trying to find those opportunities. It's also just make it make sure people are aware that you are out they there have to doing know, that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You have to put your, your own your own lures out there. You know, People have to be aware that you're out there and hungry, hungry, and you got to show how hungry you are because I was, I was hungry. But you had that. It sounds like you had a portfolio, though, mm-hmm. as well, too. I said that like an Italian. In a portfolio. <laughs> or, that's what you said. Portfolio. Yeah, I said portfolio. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's I had late. a portfolio, and that's going back to the days before YouTube was a big thing, right? I had to burn demo discs, you know, and yeah. actually send and them out. out to people. Yeah, it was, it was, it was just that you gotta show how hungry, how hungry you are for it, and that's literally what I did with the with the movie that's um, I'm writing right now. So, but even when, so, rewinding back to like when when you got that first opportunity in TV, how did you jump to the next one though? Uh, word of mouth. Word of mouth. Yeah, they just knew I did that job really well, and then I told them. Also, I had to tell them. I was like, I want to do an adventure show. You know, I want to do something that's fun, crazy, something that, not, that I'll never do again in my life. And then I got Ice Road Truckers, because he, uh, one of the guys that was um, on that previous show with me, he said, okay, I got a call from Ice Road. Do you want it? And I'm like, and I wasn't, I wasn't expecting Ice Road. I was expecting something like, uh, I don't know, running through the jungle with a camera or something. But he's like, Ice Road Truckers. I'm like, 
All right, let's do it. I mean, that's basically the opposite, though, right? It's like, instead of running through a jungle with a camera... It's freezing your ass off. Yeah, it's like... Decapitated in the ice. Literally the opposite. (laughs) I mean, you're not getting chased by jaguars and stuff, but it's like... but you're getting chased by giant trucks on an ice field with freezing water underneath you. That's crazy. There's something a little scarier about that thing. Yeah, oh, yeah. jungle. (laughs) I mean, there's just... It's it's Mother Nature. Yeah. I wasn't wasn't exactly like... I told him I was ready for adventure shows, but I wasn't really ready for ice road. But you're on the phone, you know, and he's like, do you want it? And you just got to go, yep. Yeah. Okay, let's do it. And you're alive. Yeah. I did that. I did that with a side note. I did that for a TED talk. Mm -hmm. I was offered a TED talk, which at the time, not like now, but it was, it was a huge deal. I think about five, six years ago, like it was prestigious and honorary. Right. And now everyone's doing it. And now it's still everyone doing it. Yeah. I've seen like celebrities are doing it. Can I do one? I mean, (laughs) I'm not even joking. Like literally I, Adam Driver was, it was pretty good actually. He had one? Yeah, he had one. It was actually good. He was good. No, it was it was it was a combination. I actually don't know exactly what it was about because I, I, I listened to like the first five minutes, and he didn't he didn't have like a, it wasn't a presentation like the proper the old ones. So you didn't have a thesis. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It was, but it was entertaining because it was interesting because he wasn't just an actor. He was a marine beforehand, right. and they had a story, and and that's cool. But back like five years ago, I was offered. I like pegged and pegged and pegged for a TED talk for yeah. a presenter. A TED talk is like. You know, yeah. is is this is the thing aside from a Nobel Peace Prize? Like yeah, that's yeah, where you yeah, go, yeah. right? So you're like, okay, let me. I, I was like, that's the next thing I need to do. I've I've done tours with five thousand people in my audience. What's next? TED Talk, right? Yeah. yeah. So I went Gives there. Gives you a level of prestige that you need. Yes, and at twenty, at whatever yeah. I was at the time, I needed that yeah. to just bone, you know, add to that. So the lack of ageism. Uh, and I kept pushing and pushing. Yeah, it's a thing. It's oh, I know. A, yeah. I, I dealt with it when I was young. Okay. Yeah. I came out of out of college with with. An idea in my head and, and, and a look that was not. <laughs> I had to, I had to age look. myself. Yeah. I looked younger. Oh, really? When I was young, I looked younger. Than when I was young, I looked younger. Yeah, okay. it's crazy. So I had, to, I had to. Which you're only like 33. 33 right now, yeah. But I acted like I was 33 when I was 21. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, like I, I, I was, I was running to get this TED talk, pushing, pushing, like reminding this person it was, it was, I don't want to name it, but it was a guy who was running the TED talk there, uh, one of the big ones. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, I'm sorry, you're going to have to check back with me and see if I have an opening in the winter. Mm-hmm. So I kept like, Hey man, like, Hey, like, you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, he says, Hey, the guy dropped out. We have an opening. And I, at the time, this was probably five months after I originally reached out, I was running a new startup. And I was, you know, I, I only give 150% to what I do. So I was like, okay, I'm juggling. Now we're moving into our new office. We have 20 new employees. It's only been this way for two months. Like I should focus on my job and what I'm doing. And it's a multi-million dollar company and we're trying to build, you know, so I, I went towards that and I thought, oh, like I'm being a good co-founder. Well, of course that business eventually did not make it. Mm. And so I look back and I'm like, wow. So I worked really hard to get that TED talk. He even gave it to me and then I said, no yeah. so it's like imagine if you had said no in that instance where it's like okay well yeah you know who imagine what would have happened but no but i think you know a part of it too is just taking taking those opportunities when you can get them especially in the beginning yeah you know yeah. working hard being being making people aware you kind of have there. to yeah you kind of have to do what jim carrey says is just say yes to everything you know unless it's porn don't say yes to porn that's that's different. unless you want to go in that industry unless which is entirely industry, entirely different with a lot it's got more, its own thing. but yeah. But, but I do believe that that you kind of have to say yes to everything, especially in, in this business, because you never know where it's going to lead. You know, 
reality TV was never my career ambition, you know, but it was fun. And I had some great, great experience. I made a lot of money doing it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just say yes. And just try something new yeah. and different. Yeah, yeah I scared think... the shit out of you, but whatever. But I mean, you probably came back stronger. I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. When I learned that, I, when when I avoided getting my head cut off, and uh, came back home, I was like, "Cool." So give us a I've summarize. Learned from that. <laughs> give us a, give us give us a short version of of how you almost got your head cut off. Oh, first day on ice road truckers, we were um, driving the trucks out with no trailers. One one went into a ditch. It was sleek. sleek sleek ice all over the all over the road and the road was crowned so one truck in the ditch one truck on the road put a chain up to the truck in the ditch to the truck on the road i'm in the um ditch (laughs) with a camera looking he hauls ass in reverse and this chain snaps and goes whipping through the air like a like a like a very heavy snake um, and it, um, <clears throat> I, I look up from the camera after the chaos, and I look to my right, and the other camera team's in the floor, like in the snow. And I'm like, cool, why are they on the ground? And you're not, yeah. I'm standing there like, all right, are we going to do it again? <laughs> and they come over to me, and they say, dude, that chain just whipped a foot away from your head. It would have, like, slashed your head off. It would have cut my head off. Yeah. It would have cut my head off, had I been standing a foot to my right. That's... That's insane. So first day learned a lot, a big, big, big lesson. Although you are a you are a motorcyclist, yeah. so you know you do deal with oh yeah, I'm, I'm, motorcycle danger I'm every day. To but dumb shit every day. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more on spill matcha. think about trading stocks? I mean, you always could, but usually it was up to 10 bucks a trade. That adds up fast. With Robinhood, you can buy now with no trading fees ever. You'll get real-time market data when you need to know what you need to know and how to make an informed decision. This includes notifications when important stuff happens like a rise or drop in the market. Look at you, the power of the stock market in the palm of your hand. And you'll notice the details, the trends, even the slight shift in the wind. So sign up today at share.robinhood.com slash RonaldT65 and trade commission free. Welcome back to Spill the Matcha. This is RJ Tolson. We're here with Chris Wachowski, an experienced TV director, car aficionado, and director of photography. Okay, so let's talk about the current culture in the TV and film industry. The good, the bad, and the everything. As well as where it's headed, especially for upcoming directors, creators, and producers. Um, you say the good and the bad. So there's good, obviously there's good and bad and everything. There's, um, the good is the ability to express your opinions sort of freely you know, in, in this medium, but there's also bad, the opposite bad of that, which is uh, what Disney does with everything these days, which is Ooh. just stifling, stifling, stifling the filmmaker. Um, but that's about Star Wars. But I, but in, in terms of... <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, you can say what you want about that. Um, I'll but, let you go with that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can have a whole conversation about... I need to get Disney Plus. Star Wars and Mandalorian. And all yeah, well, I need, I need to see it. Yeah. 
Um, but there's there's something um, that that I wish I'd known uh, when I when I was getting out of film school and, and trying to get a career, which is um, I was a pretty I was I, I believed that I was and I think I was a good director when I came out of film school and I knew my craft quite well. Um, I wasn't perfect. I, I'm still evolving and learning today all the time, you know. But I was I I I knew I was good enough, you know. But the thing about it is, I thought that if you're a good enough director and if you could show that you're good, then um, you think that someone's going to give it to you. You know, someone's going to give you uh, a project to direct. You know, and and, and and life will be grand. But the truth is, is um, you don't. That doesn't happen. That never really happens. Um, you have to make your own first. You have to make your career from the beginning on your own. Unless you're like the son of some producer and he knows everybody in Hollywood, in which case, yeah, they will give you whatever you want. You yeah. know? If you're the son of, uh, I'm just not going to say any names. Yeah. But if you're the son <laughs> of some EP that, that, that has produced 17 movies and you say, I want to direct a movie, they'll be like, okay. And they'll back you up with 16 professionals that have been doing it for 40 years. And then you don't look bad ever. Mm. You know, you can't mess that up. Um, but if you're a nobody and you have talent and you want to do it, the truth is no one's going to give it to you. No one's going to believe in you. You have to do it for yourself. You have to make your first project. You have to build it from the ground up. You have to develop your own ideas and your own um, uh, path to execution. It's it's all on your shoulders. No one's no one's going to sit there and hold your hand and help you do it. I think there. Are, I think what's interesting about what you're saying is that like for me when I hear what you're saying, the culture in the sense is more entrepreneurial mm-hmm. in that degree because with entrepreneurs, I think the main difference between like the idea of what an entrepreneur is and a filmmaker, for example, or a director or producer in the entertainment industry as a whole is that there's an industry. Yeah. And because of that, there's like traditional, there's like guidelines, there's like, okay, there's new, there's old, there's this, there's that. It's all been kind of defined to a certain degree and there's these paths you have to take. Whereas with entrepreneurship, like as in general, let's say tech, buy all that kind of stuff, there's not, there hasn't been, there's not a defined path. There's not a specific industry yeah. with that culture. And so as an entrepreneur, you're like, I just do. Yeah. Like I have to learn, I have to do this all myself. People you don't have to believe prove in that you. you can do it. Yeah, that's that's like, uh, that's just a, a baseline. Yeah. yeah, that's just what it is for the entrepreneur. You're gonna have some family members that's gonna be like, oh, you're a joke. I mean, uh, an episode of the Goldbergs, I know, which I, I rarely watch, but I, I saw a couple episodes, and one of them was about literally how the, the the brother of the main character wanted to create these different ideas, and that he was a joke because he was an entrepreneur, not yeah. because the ideas were bad, but just because he was a joke for being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Whereas with film, it's like you have you're going in this, and you're literally going to into this machine, but like at the same time, in reality, you really need to be an entrepreneur. You really need yeah. to take for yourself, mm-hmm. build for yourself, but you're not necessarily taught that. Yeah, nobody tells you. Nobody really strictly outright flat like, flat tells you you have to be the genesis of your own career, you know? Um, they say, okay, well, you can make movies, and this is how you do it. This is how you do a script outline. This is how you do a budget breakdown, and then... No, Siri. No, no, Siri. Stop listening. Stop listening to my conversations, please. Thank you. <laughs> Jesus. Apple always listening. Um, <laughs> no one, no one in film school will flatly tell you, "Look, you have zero shot until you do your own shit." You know, um, because the truth is, it's 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 like entrepreneurship and business in general. They uh, most productions have many, many thousands, if not millions, of dollars at stake, right? Yep. Um, 
and you can have all the talent in the world and you can show it in film school but no one believes you until you've actually taken the stress of an entire production onto your own shoulders and and come out of the end well you know yeah and not insane and not on an ego trip or not broke as shit you know <laughs> well i mean and i think even more so with a from being from the more producer side of things it's it's money, 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 money. Yeah, it's all right? money. Yeah. Like for, for, for you guys in this sense, right? I say you guys because you're more on that creative side mm-hmm. in production than I have been. It's, okay, what is going to be that return? Yeah. Because if you make me lose $50 million, yeah. and I, it's not you yeah. necessarily, right? As a director, $50 million is just lost. Yeah. All right, there's tons of directors. You're out. Let's mm-hmm. find the next yeah, one. The, right? the directors are dime a dozen in this town, and, and talent is everywhere. Um, but I mean, if you can show that you're creative, you're insightful, and you communicate well with the crew, and you can manage the crew, and you can deliver a story while managing the crew and the stress and not going over budget and not over schedule, and still being creative and insightful and, and having a, a good commentary on the world, and you come out of that well, you can do the job. You know, yep. but you have to prove that you can do that job because film school, they're holding your hand the whole time. So you're not really proving much other than your eyes work. And your mouth works, you know. But then it's when you exit film school and you're running a set because it's effectively as a director you are running a set. There's no one babying you yeah. anymore. Everyone looks to you for answers, you know. The producer is the only person you could look to for answers, but everyone else looks to you. And so only after film school do you figure out if you have the strength to do it all. And even when you're, you know, even jumping jumping backwards into, let's say, AD, um, you know, first AD, second AD, etc., mm-hmm. like, you're still looked to by someone. Yeah. And even when you're back, like we, even when you're a PA, let's say you're the PA specifically for background, yeah. you're still looked at as like, can this person get this job done? Yeah. And oftentimes, like I, I know that I had someone move here, um, I think about two years ago, I had a friend move here. He was just getting in the industry. Um, we helped uh, him get a position as a PA. And he moved here from Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And we helped him get a position as a PA and literally it was his first PA position, and he hopped in, and no one told him anything. He was yeah, just standing around. Yeah, he was standing around set, had the mic, and I mean, not yeah. the mic, but the um, walkie, the walkie, and everything. And he's like, "What is going on?" Yeah. And I was like, "Dude, someone I tell me to do something. You just gotta go find something." And to you do. gotta find something to do. And I was like, "Look, look busy." Yeah. And and if someone actually goes at you and you you're acting busy, and then someone comes up and says, "Hey, can you do this for it?" Do it immediately. Yeah, yeah immediately. You're just open, do it. For it. Be open. Get it done. Because other, but he he came back and he was like, "Yeah." That's like literally how no one told me anything. Yeah. This is like the opposite of school yeah. to a certain degree, which lines up exactly with what Which you're is saying. not a bad place to be when nobody tells you what to do because they, what they could do is they could put you on parking duty and then good luck, you know, because if you're on parking duty, I don't know where you go from there. But if you're the guy that doesn't get allocated immediately, that's freedom almost. You can choose where you want to work now. You can go to a camera department, you can go to sound, you go to props, wake up, wardrobe, anything you want, and you can kind of go, what do you need? Mm-hmm. You could choose your department at that point, you know? You're lucky, actually, if you if they don't tell you where to go immediately. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's like, one of the positives of the culture, but yeah. I think it's almost, like, a loophole positive because, yeah. Yeah, in reality, like, you should, you should you have... You might end a, up on parking lot, dude. Yeah, and you should, have <laughs> a, you should have an assigned... I mean, business-wise, as a producer, yeah. I'm looking at it, it's like, okay, I hired this person that yeah. randomly there. We're paying there. him $150 a day, and he's standing there. Yeah, that's when Michael Bay comes out of set and just rages over to craft services, grabs a burger, and then fires a guy on his yeah. way up. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think the good with that again is that you should you should be taking advantage. I mean, this is yeah. entrepreneurial actually one hundred and one, entrepreneurial one hundred and one mm-hmm. as well too is taking advantage of those opportunities yeah. within whether it's good or the bad. I mean, I know I've seen sadly I've seen PAs get yelled at mm-hmm. tons of times. I've seen ADs yell at PAs. I've seen. I mean, I've seen everyone yell at PAs. Yeah, of course. I've seen everyone yell at background actors, both for things they didn't do and they did do. You know, that's just a part of that culture, which I also think is a negative. To me, that reminds me more of the corporate side of things, the yeah. corporate culture. Whereas then you're expected to have the entrepreneurial side without anyone telling you, which is what we just said, you know? Yeah. I mean, people are yelling at each other. The sets are emotional places, you know? Uh, everyone's an artist, everyone has something to express, and not everyone gets counted for their virtues, right? And so shit rolls downhill. So sadly, I, that's the truth of I don't. I don't even think, and I 100% agree, but I don't, I don't even think that people have, a, they, there's no place to put that frustration, because here's the thing, yeah. like, director gets frustrated, let's say at the AD, right, first AD. First AD is now frustrated. Or yeah. does he, he or she take it out? Yeah. Second AD. Yeah. Second AD jumps, boom, etc. Then it goes around and you're just like, there is no system. Like I don't even, I don't even know HR very well. Yeah. With because they're they're not on set. You know, everyone it's in a, at a desk mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they're getting these reports. That's that's the part I've been on. Yeah. And then the reason why I jumped into set was to see exactly what was going on mm-hmm. in this experience. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, they're like completely two different worlds. Yeah. And the fact that that's like the same culture again in 2019. 2020 it's crazy to me like i said when i was um i got into acting specifically to uh not necessarily do what you're doing which is more of like telling stories and Mm. and being a part of the passion you want to have for me it was more like okay well this is my story and i'm Mm. telling it so i'm going to be a part of it yeah right like this isn't a documentary or bio uh, not a documentary this isn't um uh, yeah biographical um, I'm still alive, so you know, I'm, as yeah, I'm still do. Tell, according to Miley Cyrus and a whole bunch of other people, you can still oh, do Justin your biography. Bieber? Oh yeah, yeah, Justin Bieber as you're fucking 25 years old, you know. Yeah. So I don't know. And those, <laughs> and I don't even know if those are real, real, real biographies. I guess. I, I mean, I guess they're. Let's not get into that. <laughs> but I mean, uh, and I have a whole thing about that with books too. That's a whole another another topic. Yeah. Uh, but. More so for me, it was more like, okay, well, this is still happening. Like, yeah. I wasn't telling the past. Like, I've never told, use video as a medium to tell my story mm-hmm. as, like, in when I was five. Mm-hmm. I It's more so, like, here's what I'm doing now at yeah, 22, yeah. at 23, at 26. Yeah, like, yeah. as it's going. I want you to see right now because this is what matters now. You don't yeah. want to – I mean, yeah, you want to know what I did 15 years ago. Cool. I'm not Steve Jobs, though. You know, I was yeah. 15 years ago. I was 11, right? right? <laughs> so well, that's why I ask about the Justin Bieber thing. Like, what? Yeah, oh, he can sing, and he was a n- nice little boy in Ontario. But you know, I mean, beyond what that, what else is going on? For sure. And and I think it's more. It should be more focused. And in my case, it was on what is happening now because that's relevant to you now as you're trying to do the same stuff if that's what you're doing. Yeah. And you know, like with this culture, though, it's like. Beyond, I mean, beyond the system of like one, knowing you need to know uh, someone, but to get to that point of knowing someone, you have to have made yourself aware, which I yeah. think, not, sorry, made yourself aware, uh, people have to be aware of you, yeah. right? And I think that's something that I've not really heard discussed between newcomers mm-hmm. in the industry. It's more like, I mean, from the production route, what would you say the equivalent for writers, directors, producers is for like the whole acting it, for acting it's okay I need to get an agent mm-hmm. I need to do this I need to get that and that, that's the only way to do this what would you yeah. say the equivalent is for to be honest for directing it's very similar you have to have an agent you are I you're gonna have such a hard time getting directing jobs without an agent unless you know everyone um, because 
actors have agents and directors have agents and they're usually wrapped in the same building you know so whether some people may think I used to think that directors were just these you know um, these guys that hung out with ultra intellectuals in rooms you know and we all knew each other and we all just gave (laughs) each other jobs but no the truth is you have to have an agent out there (laughs) hustling for you you know Uh, because some directors are those creative introverts that aren't going to go out and hustle they just kind of sit and wait for someone to say okay go brain you know you're the brain get going yeah you know um and then there are directors out there who are just partying it up buying tequila for the whole room you know um and they're uh, getting things together by themselves but to be honest yeah you kind of have to have an agent in this business because the business is closing up all the time because especially with the democratization of the media you know with youtube and everything else um, everyone's making, everyone's creating, yeah. everyone's got something to prove. So now the the rule of we don't take unsolicited scripts is even tighter than it was before. You know, so you have to have an agent to get your script to someone who can make it, because the risk of taking an unsolicited script uh, is too high at this point. Yeah. You know? If you even send your script unsolicited to an agent and they somehow take have it in their hand and you can prove it. You're, you've all, you've just shut down your own movie, you know, because now there's a risk factor because that script is sitting in someone's office without any um, um, proof. Yeah. You know, uh, you've you've effectively shut down your own film before it even started. You know. Yeah. There are certain channels you have to go through to make these things happen, and those channels are starting to close up more and more and more all the time. And it's a cycle to to the, the entire thing is a cycle, right? Because yeah. you have you have actors who realize that to basically for them the same thing is they have to get agents and then agents are even harder because there's more actors there's more saturated content travel is easier etc so there's more actors which means that you need to do something that makes you more unique which they often get into writing and directing and producing right to whatever degree that is from tiktok all the way to youtube and beyond right and so that creates more content which then closes up the doors even more on both sides what i have been hearing though um is now directors just as much as actors um should have a strong uh, social presence which is sad because like i said some some directors are not extroverted they don't want to put their life online and they don't want to be dancing monkey in front of the camera you know they want to just they have a vision they have an eye that they want to that they want to get out there on film and tell stories but you know um sadly a lot you just you kind of have to be a social megastar now to, to, to even, you know, become a director now. See, and my, my mentality towards that, because it's the same space in in tech entrepreneurship, because you're always going to, and, and publishing even more so, you have a lot of people think writers are, majority of them are introverted. Yeah. And whether they are or not, you know, you have these introverted people who are also less social or less interested yeah. in yeah. being social. And what I find interesting, what I've always thought is, I, as someone who, like, didn't have have the resources like it wasn't just handed to me and then watching people who did have resources handed to them whether they were social or not for me it was like i don't have time to think about whether i'm social or not mm-hmm. because if i want this thing i have to do everything yeah, in my you power to dedicate to get all your time to yeah it. and i agree with you that it's it's too bad that these people in a sense have to like step so far out of their comfort zone mm-hmm. to make this happen but at the same time it's like that's the reality of the world, right? Yeah. It's it's for their all of us. it's their own um, insurance for their risk, you know, to know that you have a presence and a following, and and there's people that believe in you, 
and that you bring those people with you. You know, that's the insurance yeah. for the because everything is risk, 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 risk. And we have been really exposed to that to that um, fear and risk factor when the writer strike happened. You know, and then following that was the recession. Yeah. Because after the recession, productions got cut in half, right? And uh, Disney started making their movies completely differently. Everybody started making their movies completely different. That's when the reboots started becoming the religion of Hollywood. You know? Yeah. That that nothing's being made other than reboots is because reboots are low risk. You know, people who are megastars on Instagram are low risk because they already have a following that follows. Yeah, that's very true. And they've been exposed, and if they could fuck up, they should have fucked up by now. If they're at one point whatever million followers, right? Had they, if they could have said a racist thing, they would have said it by now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's that's what that is. It's mitigating risk. But even for, if they even if PR. they did, hundred percent. Even if they did do that though, with a one million follower plus, even if they mess up, there are tons of other influencers who have that level of following yeah. and I and I and going back to again like having to have let's say people who don't have these extreme followings like millions I mean I only have 130 something thousand followers on Instagram right mm-hmm. like I'm best-selling author and I only have that right being a director who just came out of film school competing with people on these levels and degrees yeah. right it's gonna take work and gonna take effort and it sucks that you may get missed and that's in any industry it's always yeah. been that yeah. way yeah. celebrities are gonna get the book deals people I mean even the publishing industry which is notoriously slow like book publishing has migrated over to like let's get these youtubers book deals because yeah. they're gonna sell not because yeah. there's great content great story Numbers, it's money. Numbers, yeah. It's that's what's numbers running. Numbers don't lie. That's what everyone's saying these days, especially with Trump. You know, yes. numbers are the thing that everyone can trust these days when nothing's real anymore. Yes, and and it's too bad though because you're gonna miss out by focusing so much on those numbers and then not creating programs yeah. or initiatives to make sure that you're still finding those quality content, just quality content in general from yeah. writers, creators, producers, etc. Who just may not be found. It's, yeah. it's that's a, but that's what sucks about that culture. Yeah. And it's not just entertainment. Actually, it's a, it's a relative culture. It's kind of a cultural everywhere. balance that's yeah. everywhere in yeah. most probably most industries. But I think it's it's interesting too. But at least at least we have mediums that not mediums. Yeah, well, we have mediums that we're able to distribute content. So again, like at least. You know, someone who's introverted doesn't necessarily have to meet these people anymore. He yeah. can, he or she can contact people through apps yeah. or whatever it's going to be to create content. Yeah. Um, you can network without having to leave your house. Yeah. And, and having to expose yourself to the things maybe you fear, which people do fear. You know, the social anxiety is a real thing. So, you know, being able to do it in, uh, um, <clears throat> as quote unquote anonymously, you know, um, through the internet is 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 good for for it's a good resource who who have that who have those issues yeah and i think i think part of it though for me is when i look at it of course i'm extroverted i'm social so like i'm gonna be biased to a certain degree but i'm like you know i I mean i i come from the world of both i like a private life but i also have lived my life online and publicly you know through the web series and and all that goes with that um but i also really like to keep things to myself and i don't like to advertise you know what I do on the daily, so. <laughs> but you I also have. Sides of things. You have. I, I do too, to the yeah. degree of I understand it. Yeah. Not so much that I live it to a certain yeah. amount, because I also don't like even when I post on Instagram, I'm not posting my personal personal yeah. life, you know. But what I'm saying is, in terms of like, from you know, how do I say it? It's like, I feel like step getting people to step out of their comfort zone. It's it's a make it or break business because mm-hmm. like I have ideas, you have ideas. What's stopping someone else from like getting their ideas and not you? It's mm-hmm. gonna be making that effort to step outside outside of your comfort zone, like yeah. you have, yeah. and doing that. And when that other person doesn't, 
yeah. they're not going to achieve their goals and their dreams. And that's just that's just how the world works. Sure. Personally, that's, that's my opinion. You know, but at the same time, again, we still could be missing out on incredible stories just because yeah. those people aren't taking the time or effort or whatever. Yeah. Oh, we were missing out on stories 100% every single time that a Star Wars movie gets made. That... <laughs> <laughs> and I'll stop myself again. Um, <laughs> um, the Disney overlords. Um, I love Star Wars, all right? Let's just get that clear out and out there. And that's yeah. why it pisses me off so much that, that some banker sitting somewhere in Bob I- near Bob Iger is just is just ruining the whole fucking thing. Um, um, <laughs> uh. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's, that's a part of it. Again, that's the culture right now. That's why I think this is an important conversation is yeah. because literally, like, all of the facets of what we talked about from background acting to um, up-and-coming, you know, aspiring film producing, creating content, um, and then within the actual industry itself, like, having been experienced. I mean, I think one thing we could talk about as well, too, is uh, commercial. Because... Um, and you, you Commercials? Know, commercial work. Okay. Yeah. And you've had some yeah. experience in commercial work as well, too. Yeah. Um, mainly that is the majority of my experience in production for the last year and a half. Mm. But with, you know, even with Capritores, I, since I built Capritores more so like a, a business, you know, with my tech startup background, we built in the way where we were expecting, okay, well, we're going to create these original series and we're going to do them on lower budgets so that people can afford them, but still have quality content. And they did really well. But mm. here's the thing, like most of our revenue comes from commercial work yeah. and having gone in the commercial industry, I, it, it's, commercial industry the commercial side of things it's been interesting to see there is a cultural difference between like the theatrical side and commercial work it's like it's like everyone's to me is so chill Mm -hmm. like it is so that's true yeah 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 i think maybe i mean on the really high end of commercial everyone's making a lot more money for their time you know so maybe that chills people out you know know, but it's it's that more money money is being thrown around but it's also like you, it's still relative, right? So even if you put like I was on I was on the Bonobos commercial um, last year, mm. and I, I I think that was a really expensive commercial, like a hundred k, and and for what they were doing, it just it was a clothing company, yeah. and you know they're spending tons of money. That was bought by Walmart, and everyone was just super chill. And I was on the acting side; I was a like guest influencer, yeah. but on the side of like being an actual producing commercials, I mean, it's just. I think I think part of it though is too. It's like, oh, it's a commercial. Oh, I'm just filming the commercial today. Yeah, or oh, yeah. like it's it's that there's a culture with that mm-hmm. and the attitude that goes with it. Whereas I think when you go back into theatrical, it's like people are taking this is serious. Like, yeah, people don't yeah. necessarily yeah. you know. The, and of course, there's commercial print work and there's the modeling side of things, and that's a lot more serious and yeah. intense in a sense. It could also be. It could also have to do with. Um, the brevity of the actual piece so you know you spend two days shooting a commercial two to three days shooting a commercial it's going to be 60 seconds max um you have a lot more time for to produce a final product right so you can so you can make sure that all the pieces fit together it's much easier to make sure all those pieces fit together whereas a feature film takes two months sometimes three to put together many let's put it on the scale of millions of dollars many millions of dollars you have to make sure all these pieces fit together over the course of two months right so 90 days of work has to fit together into a cohesive whole that's stressful yeah and you're putting Um, it's your baby you're like putting your time your effort it's over a long period of time and 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 there's stress because people are trusting in you to make sure that that money is spent well so that you do have a cohesive project product at the end because if you come out with some mangled piece of garbage there's hell to pay. Yeah. You know, some heads are going to roll literally, you know? 
not literally, but well, well, but, right, well, well, career heads are gonna literally roll. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, definitely, because um, it's it's literally that it's ninety days of mismatched work that you have to make sure works together, right? Because you don't shoot you don't shoot a script. Um, scene one, scene two, scene three, scene four. You shoot at scene 45, 46, 89, 22, yep. you know, and yeah, and that all has to work, you know, and and that's stressful. And it's and it, again, it's over a longer period of time as well, a too. A longer period right? of time with longer hours of 14-hour yeah. days usually. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's the commercials are going to be more chill just because it's, 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 it's more space. It's a curious thought. I mean, with commercial work, too, it's like, it's interesting from a production standpoint, director standpoint, uh, even writing standpoint, going through the commercial route, which is a lot more chill, and then trying to transition into the theatrical route. Have you ever had any experience in reference to that? Like, have you gotten a commercial client or contact that's been like, hey, I'm working on this theatrical related thing? Uh, not really, not directly. Like, it's usually, they're usually pretty separated. Yeah. Um, the directors are kind of the only ones that, that transition between commercial and, and theatrical so quickly. Um, because the commercials are done usually through ad agencies, you know, yep. and those guys don't do film. They're just kind of like, definitely. they're basically like the Wall Street guys of, of the industry, you know? They're just fast yeah. selling, selling, selling. That, buy it, sell it, buy that one, you know? It's, 100%. That's, that's, they're just trading basically the whole time. So not really. There's no real um, immediate transition with the same group of people. It's kind of two sets of, of different people. But I, the directors do cross over. That's for sure. I've I mean, seen. Look at David Fincher. No, Michael Bay. Sorry, Michael Bay. Yeah. No, David Fincher too. Okay. Fincher. No, Fincher started music videos. Then he went to movies. Michael Bay did hardcore commercials. Then switched to movies. Okay. Because I've seen I've seen a lot of director reels um, in applications, uh, basically where they have commercial work intertwined yeah. unless it's a specific theatrical yeah. um, reel. But oftentimes it's like, okay, well, that's where I've seen a lot of directors who, who are just starting but are getting like high level, kind of like skipping the line in a sense. Yeah. Like they've come from, hey, they've done these huge big budget commercials. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine if you had done the $100,000 Bonobos commercial. Yeah. In the commercial, that's that's pretty big, yeah. right? Then you can jump and you'll say, hey, like, mm-hmm. I know these executives, I know these people. Um, but I think that's more rare, like you're that's, saying. Um uh, that's basically just trust with budgets. So that shows that, that productions have trusted you with hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars worth of their cash. Yeah. Um, and you did the job and you did it well, you know? Um, and that's basically, it. it's, just, it's just proving that you are responsible, you know, uh, creatively intelligent, uh, um, in your, in your thought process and your opinions and, and, and also your team management skills. Mm-hmm. All that stuff tra- is communicated by the fact that you got a project from A to Z and it went well. So I think something something to bring back up with this as well is just that may be an avenue if, let's say, an aspiring et cetera that we've talked about mm-hmm. uh, is trying to get in the industry. Doing commercial work isn't necessarily going to be a toll. Commercial it's, work is great. Can be a help. Fantastic. Aside from yeah. just the money aspect of it too, it's like you, like you just said, hey, I did manage this budget, you know, starting out, and you just got a film school, you can yeah. get this commercial. You may game. not be telling a great political story or or telling, uh, or or um, you know, um, virtuous story of, of of human you know decency or anything like that, but you do get a chance to flex your muscles visually at least most of the time. Most of the time, it's. It's they want dramatic images. You know? I think they also want. creatively though too, because there's so many commercials. Yeah. Like you said, drill, 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 yeah. ad agency, right? Yeah. So I think you have to sometimes come up with let let's say you were doing Pokemon. Yeah. I mean, how many Pokemon commercials have there been? Like you gotta be creative with that. How many mm-hmm. Coca Cola commercials? How many what's the my one of my favorites is uh 
the is it the sexiest man in the world or it's the the, the most interesting man yeah, in the, the world. Yeah, the most interesting. Uh, I used to love that commercial as a kid. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I just saw someone kind of redo that mm-hmm. with. Um, I think the guy who did the deodorant commercial. Oh yeah, the Old Spice Man. Yeah, or Red Spice. Something Old Spice, Old Spice, similar. Spice. That guy. He was, but he was standing by a gas station and he was like doing something really. Oh, similar. the motor. Is, was he half motorcycle? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's was that he guy. Half yeah, 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 okay. yeah. It was some. But the, the theme was like something similar to like, I'm so cool that I can like, and he's like, there's also yeah. grabbing, yeah. yeah. But um, no, I think it's also creativity as well too, and it's. Yeah. You know, you can use that in, in on your resume and your portfolio on your reel. Yeah, it'll launch you. Jump Commercials will launch you real well. It's a great place to, to, to build. I think this has been a great conversation. Yeah, same. <laughs> we'll be right back again after this quick break. This is your territory. This is fuel from morning runs. This is lunch during back-to-back meetings and dinner and time back for bedtime stories. This is an unquestionably healthy meal that arrives ready to eat. This is zero gluten, zero added sugar, and zero dirty dishes. This is Territory Foods. Visit territoryfoods.com slash yum slash T-I-K-V and use code RJ Tolson to get $25 off your first two orders. Food delivered, no assembly required. Check out our terms page for more details. Welcome back to Spill the Matcha. I'm RJ Tolson. Before we wrap up, we need to hit our random curious question of the day. So for this episode, uh, I did not choose this question. The other producer did. So mm-hmm. hopefully it's, it's, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Is a million dollars in the bank enough to retire leisurely? Fuck no. <laughs> what? <laughs> who, who, who? No, just no. So, I mean, I think a lot of people think a million dollars is a lot of money, which no, on hand, it's a lot of money. But for long term, yeah, no. anything, like especially related to life expectancy. If you're 65 and you got a million dollars, yeah, you can retire. Yeah, I mean, you're not necessarily That's probably great. going out and That's doing fantastic. insane stuff yeah. and... All that kind of stuff. If you're any kind of young person um, with a life ahead of you, no, it's not going <laughs> with to the life ahead anything. of anything. It what it'll do, it, what it will give you though, is a great platform to begin investing. So, and I like real estate. I don't, I don't do stocks. But if I had a million dollars, immediately I would put it into real estate, hard cash. You know, which is yeah, low risk. Yeah. Um, slow return, but lower you risk. Get good real estate investment off a million cash. I definitely agree. Yeah, I actually saw, I think I saw a chart though that said, had a list of like the country, the states um, in the US, and it was basically um, how long a million dollars in retirement will last you yeah. on average at the age of like 65. Yeah. And I think that the max one I remember was like 20, don't quote me, but like 29 uh, for Washington state. Mm-hmm. And then it was like 17 years for uh, California. You, it's, so it says you could live on, on that million for 17 years 17 in California? Years, yeah. I don't even think that's true. And then, um, of course, it depends. Like practices of today's young, you know, younger generation. And it's also where you, where are you living in California? But I know, like, I'm trying to remember too. It was like Connecticut was like let's say 22 years. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you were in Texas, I'm sure you could live on that for quite. Texas some time. was yeah, it was was had to be below 29, so it was like 20 something years. Yeah. But it was an average of basically the lowest states were 17, 18, 19 years, yeah. and then the highest was 29. 
and I think Texas was yeah in the twenties. You hear those stories about the ones that win the lottery, they get two million, and then that's gone in like three months. Yeah, and that's lack of education. That has to be lack of <laughs> yeah, education. Yeah, yeah. That's just insane. Like you could you could take that two million. And but put people it in. do that, you know. People do that. They get a, they get a million, two million dollars. Like holy shit, that meant a lot of money like 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, I could live on this forever. I'm gonna go buy a Lamborghini and a house and. Ooh, it's shit, gone. it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> then you have to pay to upkeep the Lamborghini. I can't afford the tires. You know, I can't afford the property taxes on the house. Yep. Yeah, you forget about all those things, you know? I mean, they do. Health insurance. Yeah. <laughs> they, they do, which, yeah. which is crazy to me because you could nowadays Google it. What should I do if I win a million dollars in the lottery? Yeah. That should be the first thing you do yeah, yeah, yeah. When you, when, besides go picking it up. Sure. You know, I mean, even just putting it in your bank account, you would get a better investment return of uh, interest yeah. on that. But I mean, yeah, real estate is a good way to go. Fundrise, which is a great app and program. Mm. Um, crowdfunding for real estate. Mm-hmm. It's like a nine, I think average 9% return a year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I would do. Yeah. So the, the, the written answer uh, to this question is Wait, who wrote the answer? Um, the one who formulated the question? Because no, not okay. the one who formulated the question. Okay. Um, who wrote the answer? A director of finance at a large repeatable company. Okay. That's all I guess I can say. That's all that's written here. All right, that's all. I uh, if you are around six year or older, it can be enough, but also. Ah, uh-huh, see, what did I say? Yes. Yeah. Yes, we both said it. Uh-huh. Yeah, but <laughs> I don't know. I, my uneducated ass. I don't think it oh, okay. Well, I, 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 okay. But also having no outstanding debts, yeah. have a reasonable medical plan, willing to live in less than the very high like COL area, so cost of living area. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a few coastal areas in California specifically where that could be possible. For example, mm-hmm. also you still need to spend a good part of your million on settling in, and all the basic expenses would leave you with maybe only five hundred k or six hundred k to get through the next 15, 20 years. So, uh, but if you are willing to live a somewhat Spartan lifestyle, you could have a good sum of money to enjoy your retirement. A small home, more in the coastal boonies. No new cars, like no new Lambos uh, or other high expenses. And if you're able to do your own repairs and have a garden, you could live like a millionaire without necessarily having that million still. Yeah, Yeah. if you had your own... um you know, good garden that you that you pull all your veggies from, and yeah, and you're just end. a sustainable living. Then yeah, you could do that. You could stretch that along. No, way. like family that you're raising, and yeah. immediately at sixty five, which would be yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> so I think we both were kind of spot on. I mean, That's it's. I think the first thing, like again, is 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 investment. People don't know about passive income. Yeah, and and that's what you should be doing. Yeah, you should be making yeah, just, money. Just build it. Just grow it. Yeah, I mean, like a plant, you gotta grow it. And what? Yeah, <laughs> and what? Literally starting like right now, like sitting here making money. Literally, yeah. books are selling somewhere around the world. So yeah. making money yeah. should be the the goal, um, especially if you have a million dollars to put in the bank or mm-hmm. not in the bank, but to invest. Um, all right, dude. Well, thanks for being on this episode of Spill the Matcha. Thanks for having me. I mean, this I didn't is... get any matcha though. Uh, I drink the matcha, so it's it's eleven thirty at night, and I got no matcha to, to to do this shit. I mean, do you want to be up until? I'll, I'll spill your matcha someday. <laughs> <laughs> Just not in the not in the Tesla. Yeah, no, not in the Tesla. Uh, maybe in your over your bike. No, no. Well, my bike is green, <laughs> so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> True. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't do that though. Just. Just in case, I mean, I feel like it would not, you would not like that. Um, but no, I mean, I had matcha earlier, so it was for the Good occasion. for you. Thank you. <laughs> that's what we're all here for, for, for me to, for me to drink matcha. Exactly. With no, Boba. that's literally it. Yeah. That's what I made this podcast. <laughs> 
to inspire people with my matcha drinking. <laughs> Where can people find you? Um, the easiest, uh, yeah, The Aficionado, which is my web series all about movie cars, uh, is, is where you see a lot of uh, my activity. And that's spelled T-H-E-A-F-I-C-I-O-N-A-U-T-O. So it's Aficionado, but it ends in auto, car, car auto. Colorado. Yeah, and your your website is uh, that.com. That.com. Yeah. Not that.com, but the aficionado.com. Okay, the, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> you got that.com. That's yeah, no, that'd, be crazy. that'd be worth like you thousands start of dollars. A business? <laughs> let's start <laughs> that.com. That. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, I mean so I mean aside from let's say you you have your website, you have uh, the aficionado. Where can people find like Constantine or any of that kind of content? Um, search Constantine Last Rites on on YouTube. Um, it's out there, and then soon enough, and hopefully in theaters, you'll be seeing my movie. Your movie. <clears throat> Good. And then many more because I got a list. <laughs> I got a list of topics. And this one's gonna be intense. It's yeah. It's, this one's it's gonna, gonna be, be a hard intense. Hit out the gate. So make sure you check it out. <laughs> is what we're basically saying. Yeah. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thanks again. Thank you. And, uh, yeah. Thanks for listening to Spill the Matcha with me, RJ Tolson. Find me on Instagram and Twitter at RJ Tolson. Spill the Matcha is a Capitore Studios original podcast. The show is executive produced by RJ Tolson and produced by Kevin E. Wood. Download the Bursa app today and check out all of the other inspiring and informative original shows and podcasts.